Well, I love to hear you sing. It was awesome. You know, as Ryan said, that song is our prayer. Some of us have been praying it without knowing that they've been praying it for years. Some of us have been praying it for months. A few of you we recruited to pray like two weeks ago last week. If you were here, you made the prayer team. So hopefully you've been praying this week. And what is the prayer? Our prayer is that Almighty God, by His Spirit, will reveal Himself in such a way to us that we cannot remain the same. God, show us who you really are, not who we think you are, not who we've been told that you are, not who some college professor said that you were or weren't, as the case may be. God, show us what you really like. What do you really like? Show us what you've done for us in Jesus, through whom you have loved us so much that you've bought us back at the expense of the life of your own son. Show us that. Let us see that. Show us who we are, broken us, but through faith in him and through what he's done. Show us that it is a privilege to take our tiny little lives and to give them away in worship to you in moments like this and in places like this, but then in every other moment of our lives. Like that is life's great adventure. That is life's greatest privilege. That is our highest and best and even most joyful, purposeful, and meaningful use. Show that to us. Lord, move us. So here's what I want you to see today as we begin this journey together. What I want you to see today is that for all of the things that move you in life, and Matt made mention of this, but I mean, there are a lot of things that move us. Art moves us. Music moves us. Really awesome stories move us. Sports move us. A lot of us are depressed today. Others are happy. My team won, and I'm still depressed. I mean, it's Nature moves us. Really wonderful things happen in this life, and those really wonderful things are so moving to us at times. Are they not? Really painful and desolating and difficult things happen to us in life. And you know what? They too are hugely moving. But for all of the things that move us in this life, there is nothing and there is no one more moving than God. And here's the deal. You don't know that until you see Him, but when you see Him, you realize that that is in fact the case. It's inescapable. There's no other way that it can be. And what you realize as well, as Matt kind of made mention of, is that everything else that moves you finds its reference point in Him. So now all of a sudden I've seen God, right? And so now every sunset and every sunrise that I see Every time I look at the stars, every bug, every bird, every tree, every flower, every plant, every mountain view, every ocean view, every desert view, everything that takes my breath away suddenly because I've seen the author of it all makes me think of him and it reminds me that it's all nothing more and less than the work of his hands. It's remarkable. When you see God, every artistic expression, no matter what it may be, all of a sudden becomes something that, that really finds its roots in the great artist himself, the one who has authored every artistic gift, every excellent thing that we praise and that, that challenge and that inspires all the stories that make us laugh and cry. All of those things are nothing more and nothing less than reflections of the Almighty. They all inure, if you will, to the praise of His glory. And even the difficult things when you see him are things to be endured by his power and then things to be handed back over to him that he might redeem them. And when you see him, you believe 
that he actually can redeem them. You don't know how he's going to do that. You don't know when he's going to do that. You look around at all the shattered pieces of your life and you think, good grief, how can anything good come out of this? And yet, when you see him, you realize, all right, I don't have an imagination big enough to fix this. But he does. And so I will entrust it to him. When you see God, you realize that there's nothing and no one more moving than Him. And so here's what I want to do. It's a very modest goal. I want to show you God. And boy, do I feel inadequate for this task. Here's the challenge. I can't put everybody here on a cosmic elevator, you know, and hit the penthouse button. And probably you need like a little special card or something, key card deal that you got to pass. And, and then take you all up into the presence of Almighty God and the doors open, you know, and then we walk in and then like a curator of a museum or something, I can then show you and explain different things to you. And I, I can't do any of that. But the God has not left us without the ability to do this. In fact, He has given us the ability to do this because what He has left us is His Word. And it's not a dead letter. It's not a textbook. It's the story of the one who lives and reigns over all the universe and of his great love for you. And it is a living letter. It is a living book. He gives to us his spirit. Why? So that we might open that book up and he might open up vistas of imagination to us that we never previously had so that we might actually see him, not with the eyes of our minds, but with the eyes of our hearts, which are far more profound. We might know what he looks like and what it is to be in his presence. So I can't take you there, but I can take you into his word, and I can allow the Apostle John, who's a much better guide than me anyway, do exactly that, for this was his experience. And it's evident from the first line that the experience that he had, he wants you to have. In Revelation 4, beginning in verse 1, John says this, he says, after this I looked, and what? Behold, what is that? It's a word that means look. So he's saying to everybody who's reading this, he's going, hey, there's something I want you to see. I want you to see what I saw here. I want you to hear what I heard here. I want you to feel what I felt here. I want you to be, well, moved the way that I was moved here. He says, after this, I looked and behold, look, he says, a door, a doorway between heaven and earth standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me back in chapter one, which he makes clear is the voice of Jesus. He tells us is like a trumpet. That's the voice of the Savior. It's clear. It's loud. It's unique. It's beautiful. It's musical. It's remarkable. And what does the voice say? John says the voice said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And then you, John, can write it all down so that, well, we can get together as Revista Community Church and go there with you. And so he says at once, I was in the spirit and behold, look, Look, he says, here it is, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, who in this context is God the Father himself. And he who sat there had the appearance, and the translation here, frankly, is not good. It shouldn't be of a jasper and a carnelian. It should be of a diamond and a ruby. And the difference matters. And the reason that I say that is because John sees God, okay? And the only thing that he describes about him physically is that he looks like diamonds and rubies. There's like this brilliant diamond and ruby shining back at him, and the diamond was the first stone in the breastplate of the high priest of Israel. 
And the ruby was the last, 12 stones representing the 12 tribes, all the people of God, that the high priest would wear over his heart when he ministered in the presence of the Lord and amongst God's people. He wore the emblem of God's people on his heart. I think what John is saying here and telling us that God is blazing brilliantly forth with the colors of diamonds and of rubies is that God doesn't just identify with you in his heart. He identifies with you with the whole of his being, the whole of him shining forth with the emblem of his people. Think about that. God's mind full of wonderful and amazing and creative and incredible thoughts, plans and purposes and designs for you. God's eyes, and remember guys, God is infinite, so it's not like his attention has to be divided and he's trying to control us all and look at us all like, you know, following a pile of ants. He's able to focus 100% of himself, 100% of the time on every single one of us, his eyes trained on you. His ears attuned to your, your heart, your cry, your prayers, your voice, his mouth rejoicing and ever singing over you. And I wondered this week if each one of us has our own song. Why not? God's hand's ever here to help you. Pick you up, dust you off, straighten you out, carry you. And we all need to be carried. His feet to walk beside you, to run to your aid. And here's what none of this realization does. None of it takes God and puts him down here and puts us up here. It doesn't do that. But here's what it does do. It communicates to us about what our God is like. <laughs> about who our God is. About his great love for us. About the way that he identifies with us personally with the whole of his being. That is a mind-boggling and really wonderful thought. And I didn't come up with it. The Lord came up with it and said, here, share this with my people. And around the throne, we continue. It says it was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And so it's a green rainbow. Okay, so why is that significant? Well, what is the rainbow? It's the sign of the covenant that God makes with Noah after God comes and he rids the earth of, of wickedness and of injustice and of oppression and so forth with the waters of a flood. You know the story. And at the end of the story, what does God do? Having accomplished this and rescued his people. God takes his bow. You understand that it's like a bow and an arrow. It's a weapon of war. The mighty warrior God has done battle. And he turns it away from the earth and he sets it in the sky as a sign that he will never again judge the earth with water is the idea. But from our perspective, we're looking at that and going, man, you know what that communicates to me? It communicates to me that God's last act in regard to me is not going to be one of judgment. No, because of Jesus who took my judgment, it's going to be one of mercy and even one of everlasting life. Why is it green? Because green is the color of the plants that come up out of the dirt. Green is the color of the leaves in other places in the country that sprout after the fall, right? In the spring, green is the color of life. God's gift to us is life. John continues, he says, around the throne in a circle were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And that too should move us because these 24 elders, I think, are pretty obviously a representation of the people of God. Why? Because Jacob had 12 sons from whom came the nation of Israel. And Jesus had 12 apostles from whom came all of us. Spiritually speaking, these are the fathers of all of the people of God is the idea. And they're ever-present in the throne room of God and circled around the blazingly glorious God himself. 
ever as a reminder to me and to you that this world is actually not our home. That we have been made for something different and for something better, far infinitely better. We've been made for that place. And we need to live here in light of that. And I love the fact that they're clothed in white because that's our eternal destiny. Like, because of the work of Jesus, we are made white. It means that we are purified from, from all of our impurities. And I think what that means on a practical level, at least for me, and like this is really helpful, is that someday I'm going to be free from me. Does that make sense? From all of my fears and from all of my struggles and from all of my insecurities from all the things that concern me and that I care about and that I worry about, from pride, from what do people think. and I mean, all of this stuff, the struggle that we fight with, our passions, our addictions, all of these things, God Himself, in goodness, not because we deserve it, but because Christ earned it for us, are, is going to completely bring to an end. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings and peals of thunder. So now not only can you see this vision, but you can hear it and you can even feel it. You know, like the, the thunder, you can feel it in your chest is the idea. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, whose very fire speaks of the holiness of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, and I love this, a sea of glass like crystal. And I love this for two reasons. The first of which is that if you just think about it aesthetically, the sea of glass would have served as like a big reflecting pool for everything that's already been described for this God whose brilliance shines forth with his identification with his people, whose rainbow of green speaks of life, and of mercy, who have these 24 elders that are ever-present in His presence that remind us that this place is not our home, but that we were made for that one, and that one day all our struggles will end. Okay, the, the reflecting pool is the sea of glass, but, but even more than that, I love it because of what the Bible says when it talks about seas in the Bible. It's curious, when you get to John 15, John is going to tell you that this sea of glass is large enough, and I think this is significant for every single one of God's people throughout all of the ages to stand upon at one time, okay? So what does sea in the Bible represent? I talked about it a few weeks ago. Chaos, judgment, death, but you can keep playing it out. I mean, the people of Israel were not a seafaring people. They had no mastery of the waters, but they were attacked by people who did, so threatening. They're positioned on the Mediterranean. Where do the storms come from? They come up from off the sea. What do oceans and waters and seas and all, what do they do? Practically speaking, what do they do? They divide us. They separate us. Continent from continent, people group from people group, nation from nation is the idea. And I think what John is saying here is he's saying, look, in the end of all ends, Almighty God is going to take everything the sea represents and not only put it under His own feet, but he's going to put it under my feet and yours. He's going to put it under the feet of the whole of us, which is a remarkable and incredible thought. And then John says that around the throne, on each side of the throne, so oriented to the four points of the compass, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Remember that. And he describes the creatures one by one. He says, the first living creature is like a lion. It's the king of the wild beasts. The second living creature is like an ox. It's the king of domesticated animals. 
The third living creature has the face of a man whose great strength is intelligence and rationality. And the fourth living creature is the king of the air. He's like an eagle in flight. And all of these living creatures, what they do is they represent the whole of the created order is the idea. And he says the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are what? Because it's the second time he's mentioning this now. Are full of eyes all around and within. And the idea is that these guys see everything. They see everything in my life. They see everything in your life. Like there is not a thing that they miss. They see everything that I see and that you see. And, but here's the deal. And this is a significant difference. One that John's trying to cure with this revelation of God. They see it all from the perspective of the throne room of the king of the universe himself from the perspective of His glory, from the perspective of His wisdom, from the perspective of His love and of His care and of His mercy and all of these different things that He has towards us. And so then as a result, they see it differently. They see it, unlike me, they see it rightly. And so what do they do? Because here's what I often do. You know, I often just get really stressed out, man. You know, or I, or I get discouraged, or I despair, or maybe I'm down, or I'm depressed, or I feel like I want to give up, or I complain, or I... That's me experiencing it in light of what I can see. And what the Bible is doing is it's coming to us and saying, yes, but there is more to see. Now, you can't see this with the eyes of your head, but you can see this with the eyes of your heart. And when you do, here's the right response. These creatures give it to you. And the right response is worship. In places like this and in moments like this, but then in every other moment of our lives as well, these guys worship God and they do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He says in day and night, they don't miss it, never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He transcends all time and space. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to God, by the way, to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne, and they worship Him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying what? Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will... They existed and were created, by the way, including every wonderful thing that moves us in this life and every not-so-wonderful thing. The point being that these creatures are showing us how to live. They're giving us the unseen, if you will, through the Word of God, and they're saying, listen, I know sometimes it gets tough. I know sometimes it's distracting. I know the joys and the sorrows of life pull us in all these different directions. Like, I get all of that. Sometimes your heart feels hard and just incapable of being moved because you're beaten down. Worship. Because we have the perspective of heaven that through Jesus has been also secured eternally for you. It's where you're going through faith in Christ. And all things call forth for worship in here and out there. So as we begin this journey, we've got a continuum, sort of a diagnostic tool that I want to give you. I sort of talked a little bit about it last week. 
But really, it's just a diagnostic tool to help you kind of say, all right, where am I? So we have spectators, right? And we love the spectators. And hey, you know what? I was a spectator once. Like, I am totally, I get that. I'm so glad you're here. But spectators are just kind of checking it out. And maybe they're a little cynical and maybe they're kind of going, eh, I, don't, you know, I don't really know what to do with this. And I'm not sure how to feel like this. And I get all of that stuff. We were all there at one point. And we're so thrilled that you're here. So that's one category. And then we have fans. Fans feel a little bit more comfortable with the deal. Fans are on board to the sense that, you know, they see it as something positive in all likelihood. They're more than just spectating. They're kind of showing up. They're more curiously pursuing. They're, they're checking it out. And then we have players. So here's who the players are. The players are the people who have seen God and are so moved by His Spirit that they are driven into community with one another where they selflessly serve each other, and then they are driven out into the world to selflessly serve the world in the name of Jesus. And here's the sole reason, not because they're obligated to do it, or they feel guilty if they don't do it, or I know that these guys really want me to do this, and I know that I should, and therefore, I, forget all that. It's because they've seen the Lord, and they cannot contain Him. That's it. Therefore, He must be known. In my family, he must be known in my school. He must be known where I work. He must be known. So what we're asking you to do, no matter which category you're in, is to do your personal worship each day. Work through these passages, come prayed up and ready to go, okay? It's to be here and be here a little early, so do that. And if you can't be here, it's to follow, a line on, on, follow along online. And it's to sincerely take the risk of saying, Lord, okay, I'm a spectator, or I'm a fan, or I'm a player, but I'm not in the game, whatever. Or I'm a player, and I'm in the game, and I'm just tired, you know, like, I just need to be reoriented, or whatever, wherever you find yourself. It's to say, Lord, in this season of time in our church, I want you to move, and I want you to start in me. I want you to move, and I want you to do it in the lives and hearts and minds of the people here at this church and in our school, I want you, Lord, to move across our city through all the churches. God, we're asking you to move. So move. There is nothing and no one more moving than God. And you were designed, ultimately, to be moved by Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is not a dead letter. <laughs> we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who lives within us, God. We, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who is here with us. And we pray in this season of time and in the life of our church that he would take us over. That he would speak to us in marvelous and even surprising ways. That he would take your word and make it come alive in our hearts and in our minds. That he would give us the imagination by faith by which to catch just a glimpse of you. For a glimpse alone is enough to transform us for a lifetime. Do these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.